The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com. This is Barron's Live. Each weekday, we bring you live conversations from our newsrooms about what's moving the market right now. On this podcast, we take you inside those conversations, the stories, the ideas, and the stocks to watch so you can invest smarter. Now, let's dial in. Hello, I'm Jeffrey Bartash, economics reporter of MarketWatch. Hello to everyone and welcome to Barron's Live, the MarketWatch edition. With me today is Thomas Honig. He's the former president of the Kansas City Federal Reserve and now senior fellow at the Mercatus Center at George Mason University. Tom believes high U.S. inflation stems in large part from a novel strategy the Fed adopted in 2010 to try to juice up the economy. He warned about the consequences of the Fed action at the time in a series of loan dissents. His arguments have found a wider following today. Just recently, Political did a big magazine spread on Tom and called him a doomsday prophet. Welcome, Tom. Thank you. It's good to be with you, although I don't particularly like my new title. <laughs> Understood. I hope doomsday is not fast approaching. Yeah. You believe the Fed made a big mistake more than a decade ago to help plant the seeds for the worst U.S. inflation in 40 years. We'll get to that mistake in a bit. But first, what do you think the Fed is going to do to combat inflation? A key short-term interest rate is near zero, and the central bank has amassed a huge stockpile of government bonds and mortgage-backed securities. Well, I think there's a little bit of context that needs to go around that. I'm not sure the Fed knows exactly what they're going to do yet because, number one, I I think they're expecting, perhaps hoping, that there will be a moderation inflation um, without uh, any immediate intervention, and that is they're hoping that the supply chain issues become less of an issue and also COVID becomes less of an issue. So that helps the supply side. On the demand side, uh, government programs that involve the unemployment and supplemental income and tax credits are have run off, so the demand should moderate. So I think they perhaps are hoping that inflation will moderate to some degree. However, um, at the same time, to the extent that inflation does remain, and it will, around 5% or so, uh, they will feel, I think, compelled to raise rates um, depending on what they see with the inflation between now and March, uh, either a quarter or a half half a percentage point. Half a percentage point, if it stays in the 6 to 7% range, maybe less than that, if not. Because the, the FOMC, at least I think the chairman has a um, bias, if you will, in the sense of the trade-off between addressing this inflation and the fear of unemployment rising, they would be very concerned about unemployment rising, so they would err on the side of inflation. So I expect modest increases in the interest rates, maybe maybe a half point the first time, depending on what inflation does from there, quarter points for two or three times following that. And then beyond that, I'm not sure anyone knows. It'll see how it'll depend on how inflation and the unemployment rates proceed into 2023. So you expect the Fed to raise benchmark short-term rate three or four times this year, but next year you think it's too early to, to say? I think so. I think, and even this year, whether it's three or four times will depend on how the numbers turn out after the March actions. The Fed doubled its ownership of bonds during the pandemic to almost $9 trillion, trillion, in an effort yeah. to drive down long-term interest rates, and they, they succeeded. 
Just how quickly and how much do you expect the Fed to shrink its balance sheet? I think they'll be very slow in shrinking their balance sheet because uh, it is quantitative tightening uh, as opposed to quantitative easing. So it will have will bring uh, a tightness to the market. It will, uh, if they were to let that run off quickly, it would affect the housing mortgage market because they buy a lot of mortgage-backed securities. It'll help. It'll affect the, the liquidity in the market from government securities, and they're going to be very. I think uneasy about that. They don't want to do it too quickly, although they know their balance sheet is way out of uh, out of line. But I think we're talking not uh, even uh, a few years. We're talking uh, probably a decade before they can really get that balance sheet brought back to any kind of balance. And part of it will be the economy will grow into it, and part of it will be some modest reduction in their own balance sheet. But I don't expect any real drop of any consequence in the well, near term. Let's travel back in time. You were the only member of the Fed's senior leadership dissent in 2010, eight times when the bank began a then controversial strategy known as quantitative <clears throat> easing. That is the Fed bought trillions in bonds to drive interest rates down, stoke demand and boost the economy. That was the working theory. Put simply, the Fed created more money, a lot more money. You contend the roots of high inflation now trace back to that decision. How so? Well, I think, first of all, my my objections to the uh, quantitative easing at that time were not just because of price inflation. I, I, I thought it might come, I thought in four or five years, but my concern was in terms of bringing it, interest rates to zero and pushing, pushing that much money into the economy to be deployed, I was concerned about asset inflation. Uh, asset inflation had been a problem in the in the 80s as as the economy adjusted, uh, and I was worried that the, this would encourage, if you will, speculative activities. It would encourage a uh, significant increase in asset values, including the stock market, housing, real estate, which uh, all all of which happened. And my concern about that was then that you're going to benefit some arbitrarily. So if you own an asset. You win just from the inflationary effect on that asset. If you're um, moderate in asset holdings, a wage earner, you're going to fall behind. You may not see an actual decline in your real wages, but you won't see a significant increase and in anything like what you see in the asset value increases. So I was concerned about that. But also then putting that kind of, shall we say, um, monetary quantity of money in the economy uh, I think did in the long term risk inflation, and we're seeing some of that now. But even what we're seeing now is also related to some very significant government spending programs. So it's the asset value, the maldistribution effects for the economy, benefiting asset holders over others, the speculative activities that it encouraged and that we saw take place in terms of markets, stock markets. Uh, those were the things I was concerned about then, and I would con continue to be concerned about today, given the size that the, of the balance sheet now is $9 trillion. And we've had zero interest rates for far longer than I think were called for on the, on the, the part of the pandemic. And you touched on this briefly in your last response about maldistribution of income. You contend that the Fed's policies have made the rich richer and the poor less well off. Can you amplify on that? Well, if if the stock market doubles in 
like eight years, uh, probably less than eight years, uh, you have to be an asset holder. You have to be in that market. And usually it's the middle, upper middle, wealthier who are in that. If you are in real estate uh, and you have a real, whether it's commercial, which you gain more, or even housing, you will win from that asset appreciation. But if you're trying to enter the stock, uh, enter the housing market, you're a young person, you're trying to get into that market, it's far more difficult for you. Uh, you have to borrow more, you have to commit more of your income to the housing, which was done. And those are the sorts of things that I think affect the distribution of wealth uh, in the economy where you arbitrarily pump up assets versus what can be uh, earned uh, through the wage mechanism. So that's what I mean by that. And I think those are the effects it's had. And it's caused, I think, some um, dissension in the public as they've looked at some who've arbitrarily won and others who have barely held their own. Now, your reading of events suggests inflation in the past decade could be actually much higher than the official numbers report. Consumer prices rose less than 2% a year on average from 2010 to 2020. Assets, as you noted already, soared. The Dow Jones Industrial Average surged 260% from the start of 2010 until the end of 2021. And home values have skyrocketed and corporate debt has hit record levels. Yes. What is the danger of this asset inflation? Well, the, the danger is what we're seeing today. So you, the, the Congress in this last uh, go around increased our debt by about $7 trillion pre, from pre-pandemic to today. It's now $30 trillion. Um, this debt is being spent. A lot of it was uh, transferred in terms of uh, what I said, uh, unemployment, which is, I understand the COVID, very necessary. Supplemental income that went even to the middle class and then other programs. So that's being spent. And so now we're seeing inflation for the first time, uh, 7%. Well, as you get inflation rising, then it puts increasing pressures on the central banks, on the Federal Reserve in particular, to address that. And the way you address that is you increase interest rates. And as you increase interest rates, you get the reverse of the stimulus. You get, uh, I think, um, uh, interest rates go up, so the value of the stock market will be under pressure, as we've already seen just by announcing it over the last month. Uh, we've seen the stock market correct. Uh, there's more perhaps to come if they actually begin to raise rates to bring inflation in. And then the hard part begins, because when that happens and the economy begins to slow, they'll worry about recession. And then worrying about recession, there'll be a very likelihood they'll ease policy again even while inflation remains above four or 5%. And therefore you will uh, precipitate another, shall we say, asset increase and reverse the gains on inflation and have higher inflation still until you finally have to face up to it. And that's the experience we had in the 70s. I don't care to repeat it, but it is a danger if in fact we see the economy slow and the Federal Reserve backs away from its uh, tighter policy and returns to a, a quantitative easing, more quantitative easing, or something similar to that. So it's it's going to be a very difficult couple of years or more ahead for the U.S. economy and for the Federal Reserve. And just to remind anyone in the audience, if you have a question, please try to submit it now. The Well, here's a question from the audience. Will there be, from Jeremy, will there be political will and courage to undo the Fed, the Fed's errors in the next few years, or will the problem continue to compound because nobody wants the downside risk of what potentially could happen? 
I think there's a real danger that we will delay addressing the current issues. That, that is our debt issue, uh, for example, which was in 2010, our debt was a federal debt was about 10, 11 trillion dollars. Today it's 30 trillion. I think it announced today that it went over 30 trillion dollars. So we will uh, be reluctant to address that because it means constraining spending or increasing taxes or both. And that will be a very difficult uh, hill to climb. Secondly, if the economy starts to slow, I think the Federal Reserve will back away from a tightening policy uh, until it becomes, till the inflation issue becomes so severe that it forces their hand. So I think we have some more uh, learning to do about the effects of inflation, the willingness to stick to it. Uh, I think we have a long road ahead of us in addressing our fundamental structural debt problems and our inflation problems, both asset and price. Let's talk a bit more about that. The Fed, based on your telling, is in a tight spot. How does the Fed in the long run get out of this trap? Is it realistic to expect the Fed to eventually reduce its asset stockpile at pre-2009-2009 levels when it had less fewer than $1 trillion in assets? I think it'll be very difficult for the Federal Reserve to go back to a trillion dollars of balance sheet. They can, I think, reduce it. I think that it'll take time. They will do it very slowly, I would suspect, because they do not want to disrupt the markets. Uh, but they can begin to do that. And the economy itself might grow into some of that. So you don't have to go back all the way to one. If you could get back to two or three, you've probably accomplished a lot in doing that. So I think that's possible, but I, I, the thing is, it won't come without pain, and that has to be understood by the Congress and by the public more generally. We have over a decade set a equilibrium for our entire economic system around a nearly zero interest policy rate. We have created enormous liquidity around that, uh, and so moving from zero to another level, to a level that constrains both asset and price inflation will come with pain, will come with adjustments. The markets will have see turmoil. I think we are, we risk, we will, in, the, the possibility of a recession that we would have to get through. And if we back away too soon from uh, a higher interest rate environment, we will just delay the reckoning. So we have to stick with it. And that's going to take a lot of will for the policymaker and for the public to um, understand and uh, live through uh, before we get to a stable long-term equilibrium with uh, consistent three, three and a half percent growth, which our economy, or even two and a half or three percent growth, which our economy needs if it wishes to remain uh, the strongest in the world. And you mentioned stock prices and how they've been inflated in part by these strategies. With so many people having their money retirement funds, seeing huge gains over the last decade, and given the Fed's actions over the past decade, it's hard to see the Fed moving aggressively enough or doing enough in such a way that it causes the stock market to really fall and cause a lot of pain for a lot of people. It almost seems like it's an impossible ask. Well, I don't 
necessarily think it has to, to collapse. I think you have to put a, um, a consistent constraint so it will grow more slowly uh, as you get through it and depends on how, what, what your pain tolerance is, if you will. But I think it can do that, but, it, but that's still hard because even a, given we're used to these huge increases in asset values, getting used to a modest or no increases in asset values will be difficult. It's a major adjustment. Now we can do it. We, we have a debt problem as well, where debt's growing faster than our GDP. So we know we have to deal with that. And our debt has to grow more slowly than our national income. That's on the part of Congress to do that. If Congress does its part and the Federal Reserve then can do its part more modestly, I think you can over time, over a decade uh, or more, but probably over a decade, you can have the economy grow out of this dilemma to some extent. And, and but it means it means it's not painless. That means there will be, I think, a higher level of unemployment over that period uh, and slower asset value growth. Uh, and if we're willing to do that, we can work through this. If not, we will, I think, end up in a crisis mode as we did in 1980 with higher inflation and a very difficult adjustment. Now, as you know, President Biden has nominated three people to serve on the Federal uh, Reserve Board. They're down three members. They're viewed as having a more liberal bent. Do you think this is a wild card in future actions by the Fed? Could this prevent the Fed from moving as aggressively as it should? Or do you think that the danger of inflation is just so great that everyone's in the Fed at large will be on board with what they're doing? Well, it's hard to know for sure, because until you're in that seat, you don't, you know, you don't really have to make those hard choices. But my 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 best estimate is that these are professional economists. They know the consequences of inflation. They, they have written about it. They understand it. And I think they will be uh, on board with addressing this. I think they will their bias may be towards a, a modest a more modest tightening, a more modest transition than you might get from a different uh, FOMC. But I think they will go that way. I also think they will follow the chairman's lead. So the chairman has a lot to think about and to propose to the committee as a whole. If he does so in a convincing manner that we need to address this proactively, bring this inflation down, uh, and we will have some some market turmoil, and we may have some increases in unemployment, but we will get through this. I think he can lead them through this, but it won't be easy. And it needs the help of Congress. They really do need to deal with their spending. What happens if they don't? If the Congress continues to spend, they will need to borrow more money. That'll put enormous pressure on the Federal Reserve to buy that debt, to keep interest rates low, and to, to have a good market for that debt. That would be, I think, long-term, very harmful to the economy's ability to achieve a strong growth rate in the future uh, and low inflation. It's a real challenge for both uh, parties. Now, it's not just government debt that has soared over the last decade. Corporate debt has also skyrocketed. Yep. Cheap borrowing costs obviously can affect how businesses spend and invest. How, in your view, have companies responded to uber low interest rates over the past decade? 
Well, how, how the last part of your question, make sure I heard it correctly. How have they responded to such low interest rates over the last decade? Well, they've, they've responded as they've been incented to respond. They've borrowed more. Uh, they've used debt to uh, reduce equity because it's lower cost to them than the equity was. So they've levered themselves even more. Uh, they have, uh, rather than in, in many cases, invest in new investment opportunities in terms of planned equipment. They've decided to use these very low cost of borrowing to consolidate. Uh, and so you've had these, these uh, what I'll call um, choices, allocative choices that affect the long-term health of the economy. Now, if you start raising those interest rates, these factors will affect their future choices because they have this heavy, de heavy debt to carry. And if the interest rates are going up on them, they're going to have to adjust how they, uh, how they invest. Uh, I think you'll see more pressure on their uh, balance sheets. Uh, and therefore, uh, less stability in those markets uh, as they have to adjust to a new world of higher interest rates. I think it'll be very difficult for them, but that's that's what lies ahead if they're going to address both asset and price inflation in the future. Now, as you know, in 2007, 2009, a lot of people who are either retiring or on the verge of retiring end up getting hurt pretty severely by the decline in the stock market. How do, with the, if this turmoil that you're predicting occurs when the Fed moves to tighten, a lot of people naturally may worry about what to do. How do retirees and pensioners protect their retirement funds given the scenario that you lay out? Well, I, I, I wish I had a magic answer to that. I think they will be, they will see their assets under pressure. They will see them uh, some in, in some instances decline. Um, hopefully they have allocated enough in terms of the safe assets, lower return, but safer assets that they can weather through this. But if they don't, then you wait until the inflation gets so high and the pressure be some, that you, the pressure becomes so great that you then have to take a strong action and then their, their wealth really drops quickly and dramatically. So you want to avoid that as well. And you have to have that and you have to be aware of that possibility so that you can adjust more slowly. Um, yes, asset values will be under pressure, but they don't have to collapse if the Federal Reserve stays on a steady path to continued modest tightening to get the interest rates where they should be. And I think in the long run, that helps the saver, that helps investments, and that helps the economy. But it doesn't come for nothing. That last question, by the way, was by one of our viewers, Ricardo. Another viewer, Claudio, asks about seniors essentially getting penalized for having a larger cash position, which has literally, in his view, eliminated interest income. This has been a complaint that's been ongoing for some number of years now. He asks why no one speaks of that and how this can be addressed and what importance the Fed might place on that. Well, it has been spoken of. Um, it is because I've described it and others have described it, I should say, as the saver subsidizing the debtor. Because if you're a conservative saver, uh, you get a very low return. You have to take on greater risk to get returns. So that favors the debtor. Uh, and that has been going on. The way you address that is you've got to bring interest rates back up to a higher level to where savings and investment 
domestically become more balanced than they are right now. Uh, but that will come only with time. If you do it too quickly, you will affect asset values dramatically. So you have to do it in a steady way. It took us more than a decade to get here. It's not going to uh, go, uh, we're not going to correct that in a year or two. It's going to take a while. But I do think that that's a very fair point. I do think that this saver has subsidized the debtor, pension funds and so forth, and had forced them into riskier assets. That will take time to reverse, but should be. And he has a very valid point. The dollar, as you know, is the world's dominant global currency, and it grants a lot of advantages to the United States. Do you think there's any risk to the dollar's hegemony because of Fed policies? Ask, and this is a question from a re, from a viewer, Michael. Well, the dollar is still one of the advantages for the dollar right now is that uh, we we grade currencies on the curve, and so relative to other choices, the dollar is still by far the better choice. But that's not a given. If we continue to uh, spend uh, more than we take in. We continue to run deficits that are as high as 12.5% of our GDP, which they have been recently. Uh, then we will, I think, over time, weaken the dollar. We did that in the end of the 60s, early 70s, caused us to go off the gold standard or uh, as, a, as an anchor. So we could find ourselves, in effect, undermining the, the, the dollar. Now, are there others out there? Not at the moment. I don't see it. I think in the long run, uh, China is the second largest economy in the globe. They would certainly like to become independent of the dollar as the international reserve currency. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised. Now, they don't have the same rule of law, so I don't see it happening right away. But there's one option. I don't think Europe will anytime soon. But it should not. it's not a given. It's not ours by right. We earned that by having a very strong economy, an industrialized economy, one that the world envies. You don't keep it by giving that away. So we have to talk about and make sure our economy is strong, it is stable, and it is reliable well into the future. And then we will stay the world's reserve currency. Now, as you know, price inflation until very recently have been quite low. And obviously, it's exploded in the past year, hitting 7% based on the consumer price index, a 40-year high. What action, what, what has the Fed done, in your view, that has contributed to the increase in price inflation in the past year? What accounts for this? Is it Fed actions, Washington's actions? How do you explain that? Well, the, the, Fed, has, <clears throat> the Fed has basically enabled the government to borrow at will at very low rates because it has brought a big portion of that onto its balance sheet to keep interest rates low. Uh, it has therefore allowed the Congress not to discipline itself. So we have this understanding that we needed to do a good part of this in terms of the pandemic and its effect. And the Fed helped that. But we did more than that, which the Fed also participated in. And we have the past decade where the Federal Reserve has purchased enormous amounts of government debt to keep interest rates low. And that has, I think, taken the discipline away from the Congress in terms of its spending and its borrowing. If the national debt, federal debt, has gone from $10 trillion in 2008 9 to $30 trillion today, that has been made possible in part 
by the Federal Reserve's actions and willingness to, to buy those, uh, those debt instruments and keep interest rates low and facilitate the government spending program through borrowing rather than by facing the fact you have to pay higher interest or you have to raise taxes or you have to spend less. And so avoiding the hard choices, we've ended up with inflation. Naturally, a lot of people are skeptical that the Fed will end up doing this, reducing its balance sheet. It grew and then it they tapered off and then it grew again. A lot of people worry it's going to grow even more in the future. Viewer, A question from viewer named Mike, he says, what will end up limiting the Federal Reserve continuing to increase the balance sheet indefinitely or go to much higher levels in the future? Well, the one thing that I think will limit the Federal Reserve's ability to do that is, is price inflation. That's the one thing that people take note of because price inflation is a very regressive tax. It will affect the lower income, middle income, uh, more than the higher income. That will be the thing that forces the Federal Reserve. If not, uh, if we enter another crisis, whatever it is, financial, generated, or otherwise, the Fed will be very quick to use a, another version of quantitative easing. So it is the fear of price inflation. I wish it were also the fear of asset inflation, but that's clearly not going to contain the, the Federal Reserve's willingness to do quantitative easing in the future. It will be price inflation uh, as we're having now, which is what is causing it to uh, begin to taper. We have a lot of reader questions. Unfortunately, we have a limited amount of time. Last question. Your warnings in 2010 about the Fed pursuing a dangerous course were ignored. And frankly, your warnings have been ignored until very recently. Uh, the Fed actions at one point, you know, even until recently, were also celebrated. Yet now people are rediscovering your dissents and seeking you out. Political ran a large profile of you and star comedian and commentator John Stewart invited you on a podcast. It's fair to say that no regional bank president has ever had a gig on John, the John Stewart show. <laughs> what does all this interest in your views tell you? Well, it tells me uh, that people are, if nothing else, sensitive to, to high inflation. They know what it's doing to them. They know they're losing ground across the board. And I think that's what has brought uh, attention. Now, when we had just asset inflation, enough people gained. It was not as obvious. You didn't see it every day. But now when you go to the grocery store, you see the inflation. And that is what people are paying attention to. I, I, um, you know, I, it's unfortunate that we didn't think about inflation in a broader context a decade ago when we saw asset values exploding. I think it would have been... Um, would have allowed us to enter this period and have less of a threat of inflation going forward. But it is the effect, the realization uh, of current inflation of 7% and worries about it going higher that have caught everyone's attention. That's all, unfortunately, we have time for today. Thanks for being here, Tom, and thanks to our Thank audience you. for tuning in. We hope you listen to our next episode tomorrow. Barron Senior Manager Editor Lauren Rubin and Healthcare Industry Reporter Josh Nathan Katzies discuss what's new in healthcare investing and provide updating COVID-19 treatments and vaccines. Thank you again for listening today. Stay safe and have a great day. 
The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com.